down to Y Food, the edge facing back right on. The only podcast taking you under the helmet. Expert analysis breaking down the quarterback play in the NFL each weekend. Don't that feel good when your crowd behind you? Let's give them something to cheer for now. This is Inside the Pocket with your host, Greg McElroy. Welcome Inside the Pocket. It is Greg McElroy, your host, along with Andrew Emmer, who's doing a great job putting this together each and every week. We hope you had a wonderful week five uh, and the extra appetizer of football um, kind of throwing me off that there's Tuesday night football after what was almost a doubleheader on Monday night football after a full slate of games on Sunday. I'm like, I'm, I'm not footballed out by any stretch, but I feel like thrown off that we have so much football and still so many things to get to in the weeks leading up. But I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed just having those standalone windows to watch these games because I feel like I'm constantly multitasking. But when they are standing alone, it's actually quite easy to to kind of take in the the action as it happens uh, without having to go back to my NFL game pass and, and watch the coaches tape and all that other stuff. So it's been a lot of fun, but my goodness, uh, I'm looking forward to our first day off from football in like a while. Uh, then I'll, of course, dive into my Los Angeles Dodgers, which, uh, you know, not, a, not the best start so far uh, for the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NLCS. Uh, I want to start by just saying how much we here at Inside the Pocket uh, are thinking about Dak Prescott. Uh, gruesome leg injury, obviously, to his right leg, compound fracture and dislocation. Uh, I'm someone who's known Dak Prescott since he was a sophomore in college. And to see him go through that, uh, really heartbreaking. Uh, I just, I don't really know how else to describe it. Um, I have no doubt that he'll be back better than ever. And barring any complications, based on everything I've read, I'm not a doctor, but it sounds like full prognosis, worst case scenario, six months from now, he'll be ready to rock and roll. Um, But man, just hated that for him. Obviously, knowing his contract situation, playing under the playing under the franchise tag, only guaranteeing himself 31 million uh, when he could have had probably over 100. Our thoughts here uh, are with Dak Prescott as he begins what should be. Um, a difficult journey getting back to where he was. But I think all of us are, we, we are definitely fully expecting him to get there. Uh, without much further ado, though, let's dive into the performances of the week. The Gold Star Award goes to Derek Carr, a guy that we haven't talked much about uh, outside of our quarterback spotlight <laughs> that we did earlier this week. But how can you overlook the performance when you out? Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, he scored 40 points, took advantage of blown coverages from time to time with the Kansas City Chiefs, thought he did a really nice job of exploiting the middle of the field and connecting on some of those deep balls. And if you look at the speed that Oakland has, I mean, there's a lot to like. Now, was it a flawless performance? Absolutely not. But these are the games that I have not necessarily guaranteed that Derek Carr would play that well. I mean, these are the games where I've kind of been a little bit skeptical of some of the decisions he might make. And did he miss a couple throws? Yeah. I mean, it was it was, it was certainly not flawless by any stretch of the imagination, but he finished the week with the second highest QBR in the NFL and connected on over 70% of his passes with three touchdowns against an interception. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't also give 
kind of a quasi gold star to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who continues to do Ryan Fitzpatrick things. This guy is just hysterical to me. I mean, he can be so high with the highs and so low with the lows. In the last couple of weeks, he's up there. I mean, he is up there playing as well as anybody in the entire game. He threw for 350 uh, and outdueling Jimmy Garoppolo, who eventually found the pine pony uh, on the sideline, completing almost 80% of the passes and very, very few misses in the afternoon. <laughs> he actually had the most accurate rating by anyone in the NFL on Sunday, not named Jared Goff. So when you're that accurate and your adjusted completion percentage is in the upper 80s, that means you're doing something pretty dang well. So you got to give a ton of credit to what Ryan Fitzpatrick has done, not just in actually providing Miami with a bit of a heartbeat, but this team is sneaky dangerous right now. Uh, now, Ryan Fitzpatrick is also kind of sneaky, dangerous quarterback because he could very well come out, throw four picks in their next outing. Like that could very easily happen. But I'm very optimistic with the hot hand he's dealing. Uh, and I'm hopeful for him that it continues because I think the second he cools off, given the way Justin Herbert's playing, given the way Joe Burrow's playing, I have a feeling Miami would have a quick hook uh, and getting Tua Tungabaloa out there, knowing how well these rookies have transitioned into their first year in the NFL. Uh, the Titan Up Award this week, surprisingly enough, it's not going to go to Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, it, it, I thought about it, but I felt like that was a little bit of low-hanging fruit. It's almost a little bit too easy. The Titan Up Award actually has been kind of a few weeks in the making. It's Phillip Rivers. Uh, and and Philip Rivers has not been playing well for the Indianapolis Colts, so much so that people are starting to speculate, okay, well, do they need to start thinking about adding a piece at the quarterback spot by way of the draft or by way of trades uh, with everything that went down in Atlanta this past weekend and seeing that, that the owner in Atlanta is refusing to commit long-term to Matt Ryan, the rampant speculation has already occurred that he could be finding a new home and that might be in either Indianapolis or Chicago. But Phillip Rivers right now is really struggling. couple picks on Sunday, uh, has thrown five picks this year already and really isn't that accurate with the football. And you can see that the velocity on his throws is not what it's been. Just hasn't. I mean, it really has not been anywhere near what we've come to expect from him. Uh, now, he never had an absolute howlitzer cannon. He never had that. But I would say that it's noticeably different than what it was. Not all that unlike some of the older quarterbacks in the league. Drew Brees is another example of a guy that's clearly lost velocity. Tom Brady, shockingly enough, the velocity is maybe not what it was at its peak, but it's not that far off. But with Phillip Rivers, it's been a pretty noticeable drop-off. Couple that with the fact that he lacks mobility, and right now, it's been a struggle. It really has. It's been a struggle for the Indianapolis Colts offense as they try to get going. That roster is ready to go. I just hope Phillip can get it going uh, because I want his career to end on a high note. Um, obviously, he had an elusive run there in San Diego and in L.A. with the Chargers where they never could get to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. I really thought this roster might be ready to contend right now. But based on how he's playing here in these last couple weeks, doesn't feel as though the Indianapolis Colts are going to be any closer to the Super Bowl 
than they were than Philip was when playing for the Chargers for so many years. The bounce back performance of the week is actually going to go game within a game. Because if you watch the first half compared to the second half of what Drew Brees did on Monday night, it was polar opposites. I'm not kidding. In the first half, I started thinking to myself, man, is this the end? Is this Jameis Winston's time to maybe go out there and potentially lead the New Orleans Saints? Because if you watch Drew, the velocity wasn't there. But shockingly enough, the accuracy wasn't there. At one point, and I'm charting his throws, just kind of rolling through it. And he had twice as many inaccurate passes as he had accurate passes. Twice as many. Now, it was a small sample size, but still, knowing Drew Brees being, I mean, if not the most accurate quarterback of all time, maybe in the top three, knowing his expectation level with location of the football, it was not what you've come to expect from him over the course of his illustrious career. I mean, guys are trapping passes against the dirt. Guys are falling down very little yards after catch. He threw a tunnel screen to Alvin Kamara to the right-hand side that was on Kamara's left kneecap as Kamara was trying to run to the right on a tunnel screen. Now, is that terrible accuracy? No, but that's not NFL Hall of Fame level accuracy. I mean, we're talking about Drew Brees here. We're not talking about, you know, Mitch Trubisky. And we're talking about one of, if not the most accurate quarterbacks of all time. And his accuracy was atrocious at times throughout the game against the Los Angeles Chargers on Monday night. However, it's not about where you start the game. It's about where you finish. And the two-minute drive that he put together at the end of half, which ended with him going with a little quarterback sneak over the top, that kind of got things going for him. And then he threw a ball with about eight minutes and 50 seconds in the third quarter remaining to Emmanuel Sanders over the middle of the field. And Emmanuel Sanders got up, was all cranked up, all jacked up. That was kind of what sparked the offense. He went on to make some really nice throws on curl routes, on deeper curl routes, uh, on movement routes. He got the ball out of his hands, even though the offensive line and the protection was less than ideal. But the touchdown he threw to Cook on the little cross face, basically three by one vertical concept to the front left pylon deep downfield. The way he manipulated the free safety was fantastic. A little subtle pump to the seam of the right. It keeps that free safety in the middle of the field and he hits Cook over the top. Like that was vintage Drew Brees. And if we can get that performance every week from here on out, the New Orleans Saints are yet again going to be very dangerous. I understand their issues defensively the big plays given up, the red zone defense, the third down efficiency that they allowed to Justin Herbert. All those things are problematic. But Drew Brees at least looked like the Drew Brees I recognize in the second half. So I'm giving him the bounce back award because he did bounce back. From his first half performance to his second half performance, that was a major bounce back. So those are our superlatives for the week. Derek Carr gets the gold star. Ryan Fitzpatrick gets the quasi gold star. The tighten up award, unfortunately, goes to my man, one of my favorite quarterbacks ever, by the way. Uh, and I hate to hate to be critical, but Phillip Rivers needs to pick it up a little bit. And the bounce back performance goes to Drew Brees after one half of putrid football based on his expectation level and one half of excellent football where he bounced back 
and threw the ball beautifully downfield on the few different occasions in which he tried to throw the ball down the field. We are so excited to be joined by our next guest and a guy that I have long idolized playing the quarterback position. He might throw the best ball of all time, the tightest spiral of all time. It's Warren Moon. He's one of the greatest that's ever done it. A Hall of Famer, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2006. He's Warren Moon. Warren, cannot tell you how much I appreciate this opportunity to talk with you about the position that uh, that you played so incredibly well over the course of your career, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. I'm, a, like I said, a huge admirer of yours as well from your college career, and uh, you're doing a great job in broadcasting. And I love to talk football with quarterbacks because we're the only ones that really know what this game's all about. <laughs> well, that's, I keep telling everybody that. Like, I've been really good buddies with a lot of my friends are defensive linemen. I don't, maybe quarterbacks and defensive linemen have like the same mentality. Like, we just want to get after, and we have this like unquenchable thirst to just beat up the opponent. But it's so funny. A lot of my friends are D linemen, and I always give them a hard time. It's like, all y'all had to do was beat one person like I got to beat 11 guys every time so did you so it's like your playbook consisted of go to this gap or go to that gap or go straight up the middle that's it (laughs) it's so funny man we have some knockdown drag up fights but uh never physical fights because that's not a battle I'd like to I'd like to get into that's for sure (laughs) I gotta start by saying I'm not though still to this day I'm not sure there's anyone that ever been anyone that threw a better spiral ever uh and, and I I don't really know I always watched your ball and how it would turn over mid-flight and how, how you were able to get the ball up and down and how it was so catchable for the receiver. How did you pull that off? <laughs> how did you work that to a point and where it, if you threw a duck, it was really odd or something led to it becoming a duck? What was that? Yeah, you know, when I when I did throw like a wobbly pass in warm-ups, I had to check the ball. It had to be the ball. It had to be, the ball had to be warped or something. Give me a new ball. There's no way I, I'm throwing a ball that's wobbling, but... You know, I just put a lot of time into it, as we all do at the quarterback position. But then when I got with June Jones, who became my quarterback coach, I think in about 1985, he really taught me more how to get my ball to turn over. And and a lot of it had to do with just a lot of uh, a lot of reps on on touch, uh, a lot of, you know, throwing the ball in the trash can. But a lot of it had to do with not watching the receiver when you throw the football. Actually not watching the ball when you throw the football, watching the receiver, keeping your eyes on the receiver. And usually if your eyes were, were focused on the receiver, that took the ball to the receiver. A lot of guys get infatuated with how their ball looks. They look at their ball going up in the air, and a lot of times it falls short because of that. But if you keep your eye on your target, uh, I think a lot of times the ball goes exactly where your eyes take you to. I wish I would have known that 10 years ago. Uh, that, that's that's a great piece of advice for any young quarterback that's tuning in. The great Warren Moon, focus on the receiver, not on the ball flight. Of course, it's easy for him to say because he doesn't have to check the ball flight. It's already perfect. Uh, so, no, in all, in all seriousness, that's great stuff. When, when you were working some of your footwork stuff when you were coming up, uh, with what June was doing with the half roll stuff and the and the, and the the run and shoot stuff, I thought I thought the run and shoot, shoot stuff even though it was non-traditional I thought it was really great because it allowed you to use your athleticism and to kind of create on your own so how do you think that that kind of half roll technique helped you throughout the course of your career you know it just made me more versatile I think the more things you can do the more adaptable you're going to be and it doesn't limit your offense so uh, because I could drop back because I could play action and now I I got these uh, steps with the run and shoot involved in it 
Uh, it made me more a better passer on the run, which is something I did a lot in college anyway. We did a lot of play action, you know, sprint out type stuff in college. So I was kind of used to that. Canada, because of the wide field, we threw a lot on the run just because you didn't want to throw a lot of outs on a 63-yard wide field. So you, you tried to cut down the the the, uh, the, the distance by, by rolling out. But the run and shoot just made me a lot more versatile. So if you look at the course of my career in the four different places that I played in the NFL, it didn't matter what type of offense you put me in. I was going to adapt to it because I had all this different versatility. And I think that was the biggest strength in my game was the fact that I could move, the fact that I could throw on the run, I could throw from the pocket. And then I had a little bit of athletic ability where I could make some people miss every now and then. (laughs) When you, when you think about Canada, that was my next question. You kind of brought it up a little bit there within your answer. Uh, Obviously, playing in the elements is is one thing. Even though it's mostly a summertime game up there, you still have to deal with it a little bit, I would imagine, at the beginning of camp and maybe even at the end of the season. Um, But how did Canada help you progress to a point where your accuracy was tip-top and the arm and everything else was was obviously completely dialed in? Again, uh, just just versatility in in the offense. We did a lot of different things because of where we were on on that type of field. And then you're playing in uh, a lot of windy places. I don't know if you've ever been up to Canada, but there's a lot <laughs> of planes up there. When you go to Saskatchewan, when you go to Winnipeg, when you're in Calgary and you when you're in Edmonton, you uh, have to learn to throw either against the wind or even when you have the wind at your back, sometimes the wind will you know take your ball. So I got used to playing uh, in, in windy weather, and I also got used to playing in very extreme cold weather. I remember we played a, a Western final one year in minus 42 Celsius. So I'm a guy from Southern California, and all of a sudden now I'm up in in uh, in, in Canada. Didn't even know what Celsius was uh, when I got up there. You know, with the uh, with the uh, uh, the system that they use. So uh, I learned a lot just from playing a lot, being in situations where I felt if I went to Canada and was able to play right away, as opposed to sitting on a sideline in the NFL and maybe not even getting a chance to play quarterback, you're experiencing situations all the time and you're going to get better as you experience those situations. So if I'm in a two minute drill or if I'm in a a red zone uh, area of the field, whatever it might be, I'm getting better because I'm playing every week. All right. So when we, when we look at, uh, at you mentioned the blustery conditions and all that stuff, were you one of those guys that, that claims they could throw it better into the wind as opposed to with the wind? Because I was always begging to take our shots when we had the wind at our back uh, as opposed to having the wind pointing right towards us. Well, there was a definite strategy to um, when you played certain places like Saskatchewan that if you had the wind at your back, you better score because when you had it in your face, <laughs> it was going to be tough to score and it was tough on the kicking game too. I mean, I remember we had one of the best punters in the league, a guy by the name of Hank Alisic, and he averaged like 47 yards a punt or something like that. But he, I saw him punt the ball one time, and it went straight up, and he ended up getting negative yardage on the punt because that's how strong the yeah, the wind was. So, yeah, I got used to um, to throwing in the into the wind uh, because my ball, because I had such a nice spiral, it cut through the wind a lot of times, and, and that yeah. really helped it. So if you had any wobble on your ball and it got into the wind, the wind would take it. So having a good good spiral on your ball, tight spiral, really helped your ball go through that type of wind. Yeah, I can only imagine. And you look at, at just how the game ha- has kind of evolved over time here as we kind of fast forward just a little bit to applying what your career would have looked like in today's day and age. Now, so there's there's a real premium on athleticism at the position. There's a premium on getting guys moving. RPOs are such a huge part 
of the modern day offenses that we're seeing both in college and in the NFL. How do you think you would have fared in today's world? Because it feels like with what we've kind of evolved to, you would have quite literally, Warren, been the perfect quarterback for what we're seeing now in today's NFL. You know, we did some of it. It, it, it was almost like an RPO, but we didn't read it that way. It was actually a called play, but um, it was like a play action where we called it 54 search. And I was always going to just play action real quick to the back. And, and it was always a little quick look in by our slot receiver. So it reminds me a lot of what I'm seeing on TV, although these guys are reading it out as far as whether they're going to give the ball or, or, or keep it themselves or throw the football. So uh, they just have a little more um, versatility to it than we did. Ours was more called. But uh, I could have done pretty much anything that's, that's asked of me. And that, that's one of the things I talked to you about um, because of my versatility. So in the, today's age of, of playing football, I could do that. We ran the option when I was in Houston. I mean, but we, again, it was something that I would audible to. If I saw an all out blitz coming, I could audible and come down the line of scrimmage. There was only one guy on the line of scrimmage. He had to take me or the back. because That's all that was left. And we scored a ton of touchdowns either with myself because they took the back or because I pitched it and the back just kind of walked in. So, Again, a lot of those things out of the run and shoot that we did, um, and if you see the pass combinations that they're playing with today, I see a lot of the route combinations. A lot of those things were derived from the run and shoot, and you see the back shoulder throw, uh, fade throws. We call it a fade stop. They call it a back shoulder throw today. But I was doing that back in 1990. So a lot of those, a lot of that stuff from the run and shoot was innovative at the time gimmicky because everybody wasn't sure what we were doing, but you see it's all incorporated into football right now. Yeah. It's amazing how June Jones and, and you, and I mean, all visionaries over the, over the course of time, I mean, the run and shoot, it, it has legs. I mean, I, I saw June not that long ago in the XFL, they were kicking people's butts. Yeah. I mean, smoking people. And this is modern day football with all types of types, different looks and, you know, checks and we check, you check. But he had some RPOs mixed in as well. But Philip Walker, the quarterback, was torching everybody, everybody. He's now with the Carolina Panthers in large part due to that run and shoot being so unstoppable and providing the quarterback with so many answers. Yeah, the the, uh, the only problem with the run and shoot is we didn't have a tight end on our roster, right? So <laughs> all we had eight receivers on our roster. So when you got into situations at the end of a game when you want to try and run the clock out or, or kind of, you know, run the football a little bit more, you really couldn't because you had to keep throwing the ball because you weren't in an offense that allowed you to run the football physically. So our, our running plays were just to keep people off balance for all the throws we were going to make. We had a trap. We had a blast. We only had about three or four running plays. So that was the big downfall of it is when you did get a lead late in the football game, how did you close that game out? You had to keep throwing it, which if you didn't complete every ball, the clock stopped and it gave the other team another chance you know, to stay in the football game. So I think that was the biggest downfall where today you can split people out now with four receivers, but one of those guys is a big hybrid tight end who's probably six foot five and 240 pounds that you could also move inside and put him as a, a regular tight end when you want to run the football. That's the key uh, to, to what's going on today, the biggest differences. Yeah, it's amazing how, how those, I guess, overgrown wide receivers have now been their willingness to block. And the, the money now that they're getting, I mean, what, were we five years removed from Jimmy Graham trying to say, hey, no, I'm being franchise tagged as a wide receiver. And now you look at what Kittle's getting and Kelsey's getting. I mean, there's a lot of money being handed out to those big hybrids we visit with the Hall of Famer. Warren Moon. Warren, as you watch and survey the landscape of quarterbacks right now in the NFL, 
Who are some of your favorite guys that you have a tendency to gravitate towards? Well, of course, you know, Russell Wilson, because uh, I'm up here in Seattle and I, I was with the Seahawks for 15 years and I was here when they drafted him. So we we created a relationship when he first came in and he's been so impressive since he's been here. He's been to two Super Bowls. Uh, he's playing at an MVP level this year. Uh, you you got to love Patrick Mahomes just because the guy is kind of a, a freaky thrower of the football, the, you know, the way he can do it from all types of different uh, angles and platforms. Uh, and then he's with Andy Reid, the perfect combination of, of a guy who's very innovative to go along with all the weapons that he has. You know, I'm still a big admirer of, uh, of um, Aaron Rodgers, and he's, he's uh, playing MVP level right now. And, and a guy that's really, really surprised me this year because he really didn't play as well to me last year was, was Josh Allen. He's made tremendous uh, improvement over the last year, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with his coaching uh, I think Brian Dayball has done a great job with him as well as um, Jordan Palmer's quarterback coach. They've done a great job with his fundamentals. And now he really looks like a, a true quarterback. He's the real deal. I, I have been shocked, absolutely shocked at how quickly he's come on. And yeah, uh, I mean, he's making the, the difficult plays look routine and then he's making some magical plays as well. I did watch him shovel pass one 10 yards downfield just last week, uh, which is a little concerning. But also, hey, if we're going to give Patrick Mahomes credit for creativity, we also have to give it to Josh Allen. As well, opposed those to players that used to get Josh in trouble, he would try stuff like that his first year and a half, and it didn't right. go his way. Now, <laughs> right. when you, now when you're playing well, it seems like all those things start to go your way, and then the ball just kind of you know falls the way you want it to do. Uh, and you have the hot hand, you have the hot hand. I'll get you out of here with this, Warren. I do want to ask you quite a bit, since you know Russell Wilson uh, you know, on a personal level, what did you think you had when you made that pick in the third round of the 2012 draft? Well, you know, Greg, I followed him when he was at North Carolina State. So that, that's how, how far I go back with him. And then he went to Wisconsin and he becomes a captain in the first two weeks. So that told me something right there about his leadership ability. And then we saw what he did with that one year that he had at Wisconsin. So when he came in here, I kind of had a good understanding of who he was. And so did John Snyder, their, their general manager, had followed him for a couple of years beforehand. Um, the only question about Russell was his height. And I think if he would have been 6'1", he'd have been a first, you know, he'd been in the first round and he'd been a high pick. But because he was only 5'10 and a half, that was the thing that dropped him to the third round. But he had everything else you would want a quarterback to have. I remember his first rookie minicamp. You know, when most quarterbacks coming out of the huddle in a rookie minicamp, their head's still swimming about what they just called. They're not even sure what they called. And sometimes the coach has to be there to try help them make that call. But Russell's a guy that was getting the team in and out of the huddle. He's getting up to the line of scrimmage moving guys around, making them sure they're in the right place. You just knew this guy was on top of everything. So his work ethic right there made you see that he was prepared for everything that he was going to be uh, doing going forward. He was always the first guy in, the last guy out. You know, we say that a lot, but he really was. This guy was there before coaches in the morning. And then when he got on the field, he just made plays. And when they gave him a chance to play in the preseason, and he just made it so evident to be the starter because of the way that he played and the way that he worked that uh, the, the team saw that. They saw how he made plays. They saw how he worked. The coaches did the same thing. And he just left no question that he was going to be the starter. Yeah, just amazing stuff. Warren, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your time. You've been so generous with us. Thanks for just time. Take us down, down Storybook Lane there a little bit, back about Canada and all the other great stuff. And, and thank you so much again for your contributions to the game for so many years. We admired you playing and, uh, and we wish we could watch more of you, but I know, I know we'll always have those highlights to be able to look back on. 
Yeah, we will. And uh, my body, I don't think it take much more. 20 <laughs> years is a long time to do it. But thanks for having me on, Greg. And I look forward to maybe talking to you down the road sometime. And uh, again, continue to keep doing a great job. All right. Thank you, Warren. I appreciate it, man. He is, I think, the proud owner of the most natural throwing motion that we've ever seen and the prettiest ball to ever come out of someone's hand. That is Warren Moon, uh, the Hall of Famer and former quarterback of four different organizations. And that'll do it for us inside the pocket. For Andrew Emmer, I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks so much for being with us. Continue to check us out every single week as we continue to break down the quarterback performances from the week that was and the week that's coming. Remember, you can always download this podcast anywhere where you get your podcast and you can access it on the SiriusXM app. Hope you have a wonderful week, everybody.